Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Jay. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of proving that you were right all along, and now finally everyone has to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello and welcome back to Melee in the Modern Campaign. This is part two of a two-part show. Um, we are caught up in the middle of a discussion. I uh, kind of ended it last episode, a uh, bit of a breaking point. Uh, this is a bit of a continuation, so if you want to go back and listen to the other episode right near the end, just to kind of catch up where we are now, you don't really need to, but it might help. We're starting off with Bruce talking to Paul Nunez. Well, uh, Paul, um, you know, we're, we're talking about you know two different systems, okay, and uh, one of the things that we haven't really mentioned is what are the cool things that you can do with melee attacks that you can't do with a projectile attack? I mean, not as far as uh, edges? Uh, no, I'm just saying some of the things you can do with a melee attack that you can't do with other things. For example, disarm uh, or trip or uh, uh, you can uh, stun. Then if you want one of the most fearsome things that was on the battlefield, and it and it lived up through to the Civil War, then you're talking the halberd. And the Swiss halberdiers were devastating. And it's really... An okay, um, describe the halberd to me, would you? Okay, a halberd is basically a combination of a spear, an axe, and a hook... On a long pole, and they some in some places that's a six foot pole, and some places it's up to like twelve feet long. And you can, and depending on you, your specialization, you can get the guy right in front of you, or you can reach over across the shield wall and hit the guy three ranks behind. You can pull down a man who's mounted on a horse. You can pull somebody off of a wall. The axe, you can bring down the axe, and when you've got the, the force of swinging a 12-foot fulcrum, you can cleave through some of the older sets of medieval armor like it wasn't there. I am reminded of the medieval Japanese weapon, or the Chinese, yeah, the uh, Japanese weapon Naginata that women use specifically. They were trained to use that, and it was kind of like a European halberd. Yeah. Oh yeah, and so, some of the halberds actually didn't have a blade. They had a, instead of a hammer, they had a spike. Mm-hmm. Basically, you concentrate all that force into into a little sharp metal point, so it goes right through the armor. Correct. I always thought those things got a uh, got a short shift in the original D and D. I've never actually dealt with them in D twenty. Everybody just uh, throws away pole arms in favor of uh, long swords. But you know, if you're down in a dungeon. A pole arm isn't going to be much fun. You never know. I, I, okay, this is this is sort of going back. I have to admit, I used to LARP. I used to LARP with the guy with some ex SEA guys, and we ended up making. Oh my po- God, John! You don't <laughs> want to admit that in public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And we made pole arms. We made, we took bamboo, we took some stout bamboo and we put big pillows on either end of them because, well, that way we won't hurt people too much. And then we went to a forest and people told us we were deaf to use our pole arms in the forest. We turned, we, we sort of turned around and proved them wrong. Uh, we were, you know, they couldn't get anywhere near us because we had, because we had, a, we had a good four foot, five foot reach on them. They couldn't get anywhere near us, and we were constantly hitting them all the time. They just come at us, we bam, bam, bam them, and 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 we developed tactics for running through the forest with our pole arms pointing behind us, so we could just immediately turn and brace and catch guys on the on the on the end right. of the pole. Halberdiers, halberdiers could stop a a full on cavalry charge. They just plant the butt of the halberd in the ground and level the spear point toward a charging horse, and the pole is thick enough that it wouldn't snap when fifteen hundred pounds of horse runs into it. If D20, if you set a lance or a long spear like that, it does triple damage against charging opponents. Yeah, so yeah, that, that, that'd be the, the translation for the rules mechanic. But yeah, Paul brings up a good point about the halberd. The, the, thing we, the thing we have to remember about all these medieval weapons is the ones you actually see that survived for any length of time yeah. survived because they worked. These people were not kidding around and they weren't stupid. And so if you see if you see an old uh, pole arm sitting there and go, what in the world is that? Well, know that somebody's life depended on it, and it worked just the way it was supposed to. Otherwise, you wouldn't see it. In the American Revolution and in the early opening battles of the American Civil War, the sergeants who were in charge of keeping the troops in, in rank and file as they, as they marched shoulder to shoulder into the guns carried halberds simply because when it went down to the charge that – at the end, you'd fire your volley and then charge with fixed bayonets. Uh, he could reach through and, and, and really do some serious damage to the other side. So it survived into the 1860s. Well, the Swiss guards were carrying them around uh, up, until the, up until the 80s when the Pope got shot, and then they switched all to MP5s and things. But, uh, yeah, they still had them out uh, in bodyguard duty. And I wouldn't want to dare some guy to stick me with one to see if it still worked. Swiss Guard still trains with halberds. Yeah, they still have them for ceremonial duty, just like the beef eaters no, they, do. They still train with them. Oh yeah. If, if you still walk around the Vatican, they're, they're standing guard. They probably have a you know a Glock 17 hidden inside their tunic, while they're wearing modern body armor. But they're, don't don't kid yourself that that halberd that Swiss Swiss Guardsman is carrying is still seriously a deadly weapon in his hands. Yeah, if you look at the edge, you can always tell by looking at the edge that it's a sharpened edge, not a not a dull edge like you see in some martial arts movies. You're not looking to crush with that the weight of the blade. You're looking to slice into somebody deep. Oh yeah, and then and then, and then there's if you're talking other things you can do with weapon melee weapons you can't do with a pistol or a rifle. Uh, entangle a bullwhip. Good old fashioned you know, Indiana Jones bullwhip. You can entangle people and, or grab things with it with that whip. What's the uh, as well the gladiator, as... Uh, a retarius? Isn't he carrying the trident and the and the net? There's the Chinese, or it is, I think there's another Japanese weapon. I believe it. It's the weighted chain, but I believe the name is Manriki Gusari. Where it's yeah. Well, the comma that that with a comma on the end, which is kind of like a handle with a curved point blade at a right angle. But the Manriki Gusari. It's an Asian yeah, sickle. sickle. Uh, the Manriki Gusari, though, is two, a length of chain with some very heavy lead weights. 
And I mean, you can trip, you can entangle, you can, you know, whip that thing out at 10 feet foot back. Somebody who's good with a Manrique Gasari could be real scary. Well, if you remember the scene in Shanghai yeah. Noon with Jackie Chan, it was kind of the same thing. He had a horseshoe on a, on a rope, and he was beating the snot out of these three guys in the back alley. So, I mean, it, that was sort of a similar thing. He just had to improvise. Trav? Yes. Trav, that's actually uh, what he was doing was the, the rope dart technique. Okay. All right. I've actually, we had, again, back to Kung Fu, I had a guy in the class that used to do that, and it was pretty scary looking when he when he was doing his thing. It did take a while, though, because he has to wrap it up, and then he can shoot it out. Um, it, it, you know, if you had a pistol, you'd just shoot this guy while he was doing all that stuff. It'd be like the Indiana Jones scene with a guy whipping a sword around. Pow! But um, if you didn't have a pistol on you... It's like the one um, Mr. Welch's thing that we read about, no, the Dr. Jones school of sword fighting is not a valid sword school fight. <laughs> <A> sword fighting <laughs> school. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. There are, there are schools of training for pistols that are specifically about that kind of close quarters use where you're drawing a pistol and, and using and jamming it in somebody's guts while they're physically engaged with you. I would tend to think that that needs a, you know, a special kind of training, but it's out there. I've, I've, see, I've seen some of the videos. I'm more of a wannabe, but I, you know, I, I watch the videos really close on YouTube. I mean, yeah, there are pistols out there designed that you hold, you, you don't hold a standard grip. There was the, uh, the pocket pistol, where basically you held the barrel between your, between your middle finger and your ring finger. And it was basically, yeah, it's like you're punching. You just punch into them, and the act of punching, you, it fire. Even a, even a small frame automatic pistol, you know, you, you pull it out, you blade your body right, you're holding it from one shoulder across your other shoulder. And you're not actually handing it to your opponent when you shoot them with it. And you're talking about melee weapons. Actually, a friend of mine who also took uh, learned uh, kung fu. He was talking about the three part staff, and he said, and he said the problem with three part staff is surviving, learning how to use it before you actually can actually use it properly. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, I looked and I tried manipulating, and I damn near dropped the thing on my foot a few times. I was like, "No, okay, he's talking about later. about braining yourself with yeah. the thing while you're yeah, using I, it." Yeah, <laughs> I almost I almost hit myself with one, and I put it down. <laughs> All right, so so let's let's look at one other aspect of this uh, uh, melee weapon over over ranged weapon. So if you have Let's look at it from from just a little bit of a different angle. Why would you get trained in melee weapon to begin with? And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that that's an important point to make here. It's not so much why you would carry one, carry a melee weapon around. It's it's knowing how to use it because you're you know our characters playing in say Fringeworthy for example. You don't know what kind of situation you're gonna get into at all. I mean you could be in any situation whatsoever. So you better know how to use a melee weapon because it may be the only weapon you have at the time. So it's 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 good to get that training and be proficient in it, and then carry a pistol around with you everywhere you go, so that when you lose that pistol, you got a backup. Well, sometimes you don't have a choice, Peter. Sometimes you come from a culture where they don't have guns, especially in in uh, the various RPGs that we play. Oh no, Bruce! Bruce, I was I, I was. That's not the point. The point I was making is if you have access to guns, why would you learn how to use a melee weapon? And that, that was where I was going with that, was that you still want to have that skill. How many, how many of us did any martial arts training? And we're uh, from a culture that is notorious for being gun happy. I mean, at, at any point, not only is it 
good exercise and a good way to keep mind and body together, but it's nice to know you have some options as something stupid happens when you're barehanded. Right. You may be in an area where there are no guns and no guns allowed, and there's no guns because it's illegal to have a gun. You know, and, and the only thing you're going to have is that pool cue that you can pick up or the, uh, the baseball bat that happened to be you know, behind the bar. Yeah, or the uh, the the switchblade built into built into your shoe. Oh, wrong wrong game. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, if I can get one of those on the fringe and it doesn't hurt me walking all that time, I'll use it. So, Peter, your your game in in the TriTech game realm is is really fringe worthy. So, specifically in fringe worthy, you know, what are some situations where firearms are just not available to you? Okay, so if you go, well, first off, you go to a world where uh, they don't have firearms, and perhaps um, your commander has deemed it necessary that you don't carry one there for whatever reason. Maybe they don't want to contaminate the culture there. Uh, perhaps they've had dealings with them, and part of the agreement, part of the, the treaty that you've set up with them uh, for your for your team to be able to travel there, for French-worthy people to travel there, is that they don't bring guns into their realm. Or Peter, um, something, like something perhaps, else. Let's say you've dealt with that culture and you find out that fringe pirates hit or, you know, later campaign, the Coptics hit. They may say, okay, these people are so scared of firearms. Yeah, they're letting us in. But if they see we have a firearm, we're right back through the portal and they may chase us with, you know, venom, you know, saying, okay, no, we see this, they're gone. So, yeah, that could be another reason why it's just these people are just not into firearms because of previous bad contact. Yeah. Right, and and it could be just as simple as you go to the Golden Hordes, you know, realm, and they they have been uh, dealing with the fringe worthy, you know, for, for people from my debt. And when you go through the door, they're like, "Hey, give me that, give me your fire stick, mm. set that aside." You know, well, you're not allowed to bring that in here. Based on the level of, te- of technology, they they already have firearms of sorts. I mean, they're 14th century, according to according to what Richard had laid down. That means they have they ha- they have you know, like you know. Match locks. Yeah, you're not going like to be seeing Mongolian gunslingers, John. That that's what I'm saying. It's going to be a very yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was John. That was my point. They're like, no, 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 no. You're not bringing that in here. Here, take this match lock with you. There you go. Now we're good. Um, but but I don't know. There's just just there are situations where you wouldn't have a gun. Like um, let's say you're going on a long trip. Let's say you're going on a, on a very long trip, way out there, and uh. You're limited on supplies just because you know every ounce of you know every ounce of weight you have has to be pushed along the French pass by the, the amount of diesel fuel you can bring with you, and you know maybe you're doing a, uh, a a medical mission or something like that. So you're only allowed to bring so many bullets with you. I mean you can only you know you're you're limited by your supply. So while you may have guns, you may not be allowed to use them except for extreme circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, you know, depending on the world you're going into, he may, you know, your, your commander might say, look, you don't really need guns for the most part here. We're going to keep them in the truck. If you need them, you come back and get it. Or you have your pistol with one clip. Uh, if you encounter trouble, run. And if you have to fire, fire. But, you know, for the most part, make sure you have a melee weapon on you in case you have to go to that. Sometimes the environment itself makes it dangerous to have a firearm. Well, yeah, if you're underwater, it's just not going to work, probably. But also, if you're in an area where there's a lot of electrical discharges or excessive heat, 
uh, you could find your weapon discharging accidentally and probably into your buddy. Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea is sword and sorcery role-playing at its pinnacle. Play an Amazon fighter, Atlantean magician, Eskimo shaman, Hyperborean warlock, Ixian necromancer, Celtic barbarian, Kimmerian cataphract, Pictish thief, Viking berserker, or one of many other possibilities. The heroes of a Hyperborea campaign delve the mazes and labyrinths of vast dungeons filled with horrifying monsters, lethal traps, and bewildering puzzles. They explore savage frontiers, breach hostile borderlands, probe ancient ruins, and investigate cursed tombs. They plunder for treasure and magic in a decaying world inhabited by bloodthirsty beasts and weird otherworldly beings. Explore endless challenges and infinite realms of imagination with this complete sword and sorcery role-playing game. Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea is presented in a box set format with contents including player's manual, referee's manual, poster map, six polyhedral dice, and six character sheets. Available now at swordsmenandsorcerers.com. That's S-W-O-R-D-S-M-E-N-A-N-D-S-O-R-C-E-R-E-R-S.com. I mean, or, or, or situations can uh, erupt where you don't get a chance to pull your weapon. Uh, I, I think, uh, I think, uh, were, you, were you there, Paul? Yeah, you, I think Paul was there when my friends were the team got attacked by raptors. You know, so yeah, they're like, they're fighting hand to hand combat with raptors at that point because the raptors got the drop on them. <laughs> Heck, you know, you could be in a fringe-worthy world. I mean, any world's up for, you know, anything could happen, any kind of world you could go to. I mean, what if you're in a world where there's a, a higher um, hydrogen content, hydrogen and oxygen content, you know, not enough to be toxic, or maybe even it is toxic and you're wearing gas masks, you know, you're wearing a, like a like a tank of, of, of breathable air. Yeah, you don't want to fire anything. Yeah, but uh, the first lightning storm and that world's taken care of. Uh. Maybe there's no light. <laughs> There's no lightning on that world, or or, or may, maybe or maybe you're in, you're 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 in an area where there's a large where there's like some smoking thermal vents. It's a lot of methane being put out, and you sure. didn't, you anyone getting anywhere near that methane those methane vents with like with firearms, right? Or 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 let's take it let's take a chapter from uh, Aliens. Let's say the portal opens into some kind of power plant, right? And they don't know what's going to happen if you start shooting bullets around in there. You know you you. You could, there's, it's like, well, there's some kind of reactor here. We don't know what it is. We don't know what any of these pipes are. And, you know, firing a bullet into one of these pipes could be a very bad thing. Or you're on a spaceship. Spaceships normally don't like being shot at. <laughs> just see, just watch Outland and you'll get a real good feel right. for it. it. And, I mean, that's one of the reasons why they really frown on using guns on planes. Is because poking holes through planes means that people have trouble breathing. Though, though in Mythbusters it did show that you could, you can shoot a hole if you, you basically shoot a bolt through a standard window, uh, with a standard window on an airplane, it doesn't blow out and you get sucked through like gold, like Goldfinger. Uh, it, it just makes a little, it just, it's just a hole and it basically, you'll have time, you'll have time to put your air mask on and all that stuff because it's going to take a while for the air to get through that hole. 
In fact, if you got if you got uh, your your iPad, just go clunk and you solve the you solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if the whole window goes, it's it's gonna it's gonna decompress very rapidly, John. Yeah, but but the the windows are made of polycarbonate, so it means you really have to do a lots of damage to the window yeah. to make it blow out. But John, you're you're presenting a situation where there's one little hole. Okay, usually when in gunfights, there's a lot of holes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. If somebody's got his AK-47 out and he's just spraying and praying in the airplane, that's gonna be bad news no matter what. The holes in the in the sides gonna be at least of your worries at that point. Well, no, it's gonna be in a pretty immediate worry if you're like you're losing air. Uh, you just hope that the that the bulletproof uh, that the the bulletproof pilot door is really bullet, really bulletproof or not. <laughs> Of course, in Fringeworthy, you have one you have one thing that you haven't mentioned, and that is if you go to a world in which there actually is a god, and he has said, "Thou shalt not use, you know, uh, ranged weapons," and you use a ranged weapon, well, <laughs> you, there might be some serious cosmic smackdown coming. Yeah, or what was it? Or was it the 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 re the alter the reality field or something like that like in Bureau Thirteen you could be an area where um, firearms don't work period and it's, that's just it you know you're gonna have to pull you you got a bow and arrow that's good you got a slingshot great you got a pistol it's a cheap cheap uh, club <laughs> well that that was another thing I was gonna I was gonna ask what about what about an other you know, uh, you could go into an other where there's, you know, I don't know, gunpowder doesn't explode. Right. Uh, in my uh, light and dark adventure, uh, I postulated a world in which for every uh, 10 miles an hour you moved, you lost half your mass. So a bullet coming out at, you know, what is it, you know, 2,500 feet per second? Weighs nothing. It basically doesn't do anything to anybody. It's like it's like being hit with a, with a Nerf pellet or something like that. Yeah, but that doesn't that also mean your swords do nothing too if you swing them really hard? Well, you don't swing them very hard. You you basically put them in front of you and push real hard. <laughs> oh, I can see slow motion sword combat. Oh, you know, <laughs> there's good, there's going to be different kinds of combat based upon the various types of worlds in which you're at. But that is still a melee combat. And this and missile and actually the 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 primary method that was used was very large heavy objects that would then be swung on somebody, and then when it hit, it would then re it would slow down and regain all of its mass and crush them. I was going to say, this is where we could we could dive into the uh, the movie Delirium and Gun Kata, <laughs> which was just silly, but it was, it was fun. Hey, you know, Speed Racer was the first, first, first movie that, that, that featured uh, Carfu. Carfu. <laughs> <laughs> is that like my one friend when he got PO'd he'd say I'm going to practice Taekwon Ford <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so like that, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll have you know that uh, the uh, the great race had quite a bit of Carfu in it you know and uh, almost any James Bond film you want to look at has some significant Carfu in it well, heck, that 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 movie with um, it was the Patriot with uh, George Clooney. I swear that was some of the best. I mean, I guess well, then 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 the Born the Born movies came out after that, but that was some of the best car foo stuff I'd ever seen. It was really quite realistic. 
So, so are, yeah, you, are you treating a car as a melee weapon? Is that what you're talking about here, Peter? I don't okay. know. Not really. I'm just, it's just car no, combat. No. Honestly. Bicycle, you know though. What? You could do a bicycle as a melee weapon. You could, especially one of those, Jackie, especially Jackie Chan, especially one of those stunt bikes where you can actually, where you can actually can spin around the steering wheel, the, the front wheel. Hey, John. Yeah. Jackie Chan would rock that. Uh, he he did. Did he? Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah. See? Uh, <laughs> you my mention suit. anything, and I can probably find a Jackie Chan movie. He used it. <laughs> right. Hey, so look, our 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 listeners are probably going cross-eyed with all the crunch. Let's let's, let's move on a little bit. It also means you also get the other advantage of being in Bureau 13. You can have magic weapons. You know, besides having the the, the pistol that shoots with a plus two to shooting bullets, you can have the, the dancing sword that helps you that helps you fight. And or, it leads us on to uh, you know, Bureau like 13, that. where being the melee weapon guy could be a serious advantage if you're up against monsters. There are monsters that uh, cannot be hurt by uh, small pieces of flying metal. But a nice silver dagger always, you know, you keep that on you when you know you're fighting a lycanthrope. You can get a shot in before, you know, he you know breaks your gut. You know, he's going to fill it. Yeah, you might, religion fills in. You might have to use a blessed weapon. The um, the old holy water sprinkler, which was a spiked mace with a reservoir. You poured holy water into it. And when you hit somebody with it, it sprinkle holy water on them. And, uh, or the... You know, the old-fashioned alchemical requirement. I mean, silver bullets get a lot of play, but silver doesn't do well when it's thrust down a barrel at 3,000 feet per second. And let's let's not forget the old adage. Just about anything gets killed with its head getting cut off. I mean, werewolf, oh, you need silver, or cut its head off. <laughs> Vampire, well, so a stake through the heart, or cut its head off. Well, cut its head off, stuff, uh, was it salt in its mouth, so it shut... And buried in the in the, the, in the uh, well, what yes. was it? Holy wafers, right? communion wafers, communion wafers. Sew his mouth shut, bury its head in the crossroads at, at midnight, and then bury the body someplace else. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it really what it boils down to. Once you've cut its head off, all that other stuff is just flavor. Yeah, except if you don't do that, it can it, it can literally find its head find its head and put it back on. Well, again. that's fine, but you've taken him out. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying that usually taking the head off of something generally gets the job done for the most part. You're you're most of the but, way um, there. Yeah, about Bureau Thirteen and melee weapons. There are certain, and I mean, these aren't hard set classes based on game mechanics. These are just types of classifications that Bureau 13 agents are. Of course, we have the gun bunnies, but we're not dealing with that. Things like, and I believe the term was a sword saint, which would be the equivalent to a D&D paladin. They have a magical weapon of some type, usually a sword, and they wield it in the name of, you know, fighting supernatural evil. So this sword may be blessed, it may be on fire, it may glow with deific light, but they have learned to use one melee weapon and turn it into a science. I mean, they are that surgical with this whatever magic weapon it is. And I'm trying to recall if there are any other examples other than like a sword saint, or if that was just a catch-all name for anyone using a melee weapon, an agent using a melee weapon. I'm trying to recall if there's any other names. I don't think any come to mind. But, I mean, it's easier to keep a dagger on, walk down the street, or, you know, brass knuckles, or a, a sap or a, a collapsible police baton, 
than it is walking around with an M16. You kind of attract less attention if you've got a collapsible police baton in the side of your coat, your trench coat pocket. Well, okay, Trav, with the, but read the uh, um, brass knuckles. Uh, yeah, brass knuckles that have been silver-plated. And, and and on each knuckle have one one each of the of the holy symbols of every religion on them. Hopefully you're covered. I, I actually uh, had a character with silver-plated brass knuckles just in case of werewolves in a Bureau 13 game. Bruce, you run Bureau 13 games at conventions. Has any of those people specialized, or you provide them pre-generated characters that are melee fighters? Well, I rarely provide... Uh, solely a me- melee character because you know it's always a great idea to have a mix. But there's certainly plenty of reasons to use uh, a melee weapon in the Bureau 13 universe. Uh, first of all, as you were mentioning, uh, there's uh, most monsters that are very very tough are tough because they're not affected by most commonly modern type devices. I mean, there are a lot of monsters that if it if, if it didn't exist when the monster was created, it doesn't hurt them. So guns, it's like you're not even shooting at them. You fire bullets and they don't even exist for them. It has nothing to do whether the bullets do more damage or not normally. It just it doesn't fall into their reality and they so they can't be affected by that. They can only be affected by something that could have existed at that time, such as a blade, such as, you know, a, a, a rock or, or a club or something like that. Uh, Heaven help you run across a Neanderthal spirit yeah. then. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, most monsters are, uh, the best way of taking a, a mo- most monsters down is by using a bane that's specific to them. There's a lot of good reasons for that. The, the two specifically are, one is that most banes are not harmful to other people around. Uh, it's very specific to the monster, so it's uh, it's important to use that. Uh, and the second reason is because there's a lot of banes that cannot be delivered very well through a firearm. I mean, we 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 all we love having the shotgun with the the multi-use shells and things like that. But I mean, uh, if you use crystals, if you use uh, holy water, uh, if you use um, any kind of a, of a something that will burn incense, whatever, you know, generally speaking, those things don't get delivered very well, you know, well, with a firearm. However, I was going to say holy water and paint and paintball rounds, but yeah. Okay, so you're going to have to carry an awful lot of varied items in order to be able to deliver these things, okay? And there's a lot of work involved in being able to do that. However, there's most weapons, um, and, and melee weapons, uh, uh, specifically bladed weapons, and bludgeoning weapons, especially bludgeoning weapons, okay, can be fairly easily, uh, uh, a bane can be applied to these items. I mean, you just take something and grind it into leather, wrap it around the head of a mace, you've got, uh, you know, a, a very specialized uh, anti-bane, you know, a, a bane weapon against a specific monster. Yeah, a lot of monsters are susceptible to silver. So yeah, just silvering all your all your bladed weapons right there gives you at least, a, and I hate to use the pun, an edge when fighting them. Yeah, it, which, because silver is so soft, actually it's the reverse usually. But still, if it if it, it will only be affected by that, even a silver edge is can cut. Uh, the the second reason is that uh, there's an most of your magic items. Uh, are going to be based upon legends and antiquity and things like that. 
And so, I mean, with the exception of the uh, Remington Colt uh, used in the, the TV show Supernatural, I haven't heard of a whole lot of weapons, okay, that are, that are thr slug throwers or various types of things like that, that are magic, that are, have special supernaturally effective type attacks. But, you know, we all know about Excalibur. We all know about uh, all kinds of, of specialized weapons that are designed, you know, the, the, you know, dra you know there are Dragon Slayer, you know, swords. There are Giant Slayer clubs. There's, uh, you know, the... Heck, the, the original Bowie knife that Bowie made was made of, theoretically out of me meteoric steel. So that makes it special right there. <laughs> And I mean, there's there's another weapon. I mean, it's evil, and you know, it, it's been purported to have, you know, infernal powers. But the spear of Longinius, the spear that was used to stab Jesus Christ in the side as he hung from the cross, that's another uh, evil weapon that a villain could use in melee combat. Because they say that, yeah, it was used to stab Christ in the side, so therefore it killed, you know, the Son of God, and so it it gained deific power that way because it was used for that purpose by Longinius, the soldier who did it. Okay. Uh, just for accuracy, uh, Trav, it, when he was stuck in the side, water and blood came out separately proving he was already dead. But still, they, if they stuck it in the side of Jesus. That's some pretty heavy mojo. Well, yeah, that's what I mean, but that would be another, yet another um, archaic, legendary melee weapon. And Right. Yeah, I'm so there aren't a, but there, so there aren't a whole lot of modern day weapons that can, can can basically claim that kind of of a belief system backing it up any kind of a supernatural uh, thing that would do that. Now it's not to say that you can't add that to your game. I'm just simply saying is that when we think about legendary magical weapons that are designed to kill or, or uh, certain types of creatures uh, or be more effective against them we're almost always talking about melee weapons yeah like um oh gosh uh the way of nine uh, muramashi miyamoto one of his katanas or a nagasaki blade that was made 500 years ago things like that yeah yeah so in, in bureau 13 if you're looking for uh, a, a an artifact of some kind, a specialized weapon that can, you know, can kill something that's unkillable or, you know, you're going to be looking for a melee weapon. You're probably not going to be looking for a firearm. So it's, it, it, they add a, an awful lot to the plot of the adventures in, in as far as Bureau 13 is concerned. Now, the second thing uh, is that because, and you mentioned this earlier, because you're in Bureau 13, you have magic. You have a number of things that make the melee fighter so much more effective than they would have been otherwise. You can make them completely silent. So they get, they, you know, they're much more easy to surprise, uh, much more easy to get critical hits as a result of that sort of thing. Secondly, is, is you can make them invisible. So your, your long-range uh, fighter you know, who's, uh, who likes to shoot people before they get to them, doesn't realize that the person is standing next to them the whole time. So those two things equalize uh, against the long-range weapons pretty effectively. Yeah. Or, or, the, or you get some sort of spell that makes, you, makes multiple of you appear. Which one are you going to shoot at? You know, that's another one that, that helps, uh, helps along. I mean, there's, there's various magical dodges out there that 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 one you you can have a a shield that deflects bullets 
Yeah, you could also, but that same shield could also be used to deflect knives and and, and edges and things like that. So yeah, uh, it's. I'm just saying is that you know one uh, if you're if you're in a world in which you have you know super high tech devices uh, and it doesn't have to be just magic. I mean, we can also talk about you know uh, optical optical camouflage, uh, which is was used very effectively uh, in the. Oh, uh, Ghost in the Shell series. You know, they, they were, uh, you know, they, they had all kinds of automatic weapons, sure, but they were literally able to walk up next to people and they never even knew they were there because of their optical camouflage. If you're a melee fighter, you know, you can move in, you can kill somebody, you never make a sound. I mean, it's almost as if the person dies of their own accord. That's true. Though, uh, typically with, with the magic spells, they always, uh, I think D&D, uh, original D&D at least, made your invisibility turn off the second you made, you did a hostile action on somebody. Well, that depends. I mean, there's also improved invisibility, which means that as they attack, you know, we're talking game system here when you do that, John. Uh, when you attack, they suddenly become visible, which is more of a game as fairness element, and then they become invisible immediately thereafter. There's some versions of it where you never become visible. Like, for example, uh, the um, uh, the invisible stalker. It's always invisible. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's attacking you or not. So it, 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 there's sometimes there, the monster is always going to be invisible, or you're always going to be invisible to you, the person you're trying to target. You know, you can. Uh, there's also another way to make yourself invisible without by doing the reverse, which is darkness. Okay, if you have, uh, if they can't see you, you're invisible. <laughs> okay, and uh, handguns are notoriously bad at, at using against people that you can't see. However, melee weapons in almost every game system I've ever seen work pretty much almost as well, just slightly worse than they would if you were able to see what you were doing. Yeah, and also handguns, if you're firing them at night, first you have noise, second of all, you have that nasty muzzle flash. You don't have to deal that with a melee weapon. At the most, you might have to worry about a glint of moonlight off a blade. And if you just make a blade dark, like paint it black, heck, you can avoid that. So yeah, melee weapons in darkness are good because they don't make noise. They don't give off any type of shine if you you know, play your cards right, so to speak. The people you're killing with them can occasionally let loose some noises. Yeah. And, and if you want to keep your sword from shining, you make it out of ceramic material and make it and then make it black. Yeah, but the number one reason in Bureau Thirteen to make sure that you are very effective with melee weapons is because you're playing a covert agent. You're uh, there are so many times you're not allowed to have an obvious weapon like a slug thrower, like a gun. Uh, I should say a pistol or a, a, a long arm. Okay, so. You know, but you could pick up almost any object around you and use it as a melee weapon. So it's going to be your first line of defense when you're not allowed to have a defense. And that's built into the game's goals, uh, which is to, you know, keep keep covert. Yeah, but you you do got your various bureau uh, items in your purse. If you just got your, <coughs> excuse me, your bureau pin on you, yeah, you're 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 well armed at least for for some close up combat, you know, spraying a, a acid in someone's face and then punching them, you know, the acid may not do much, but it'll make oh them my blink. God, um, I had so much fun with the bureau thirteen cigarette pack. Oh, 
Yeah, until we found until we realized it weighed a pound and a half. <laughs> That's why it went away. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a co- it's it, it doesn't it basically uh, it's only useful as long as nobody else besides the agent ever handles it. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, wow, it has some fun party favors in it. Oh, C4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I I prefer the uh, explosive gum myself. Yeah, you chew it and spit. Don't chew it. <laughs> hey, as long as you're masticating it, it's fine. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's when you stop masticating it that it gets dangerous. Right, so you <laughs> want to make sure that nobody like hits you on the back and makes you swallow. You're in big trouble. <laughs> oh my god, Blix, clean show, Blix, clean show, Blix, clean show. <laughs> well that that takes us around the tritag games universe we've grappled with several subjects we've taken our best swing at it oh i see what you did there ow oh that one was right on the edge but did we but did we ever get to the point oh. or did we just beat the subject to death Sometimes it was parried, a few times it was simply deflected. Oh, we, that, he's taking it right to the hilt there. Uh, we dodged that one, though. I don't know. I think we cut to the chase on this one. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to pommel uh, this until it's done, huh? Senior defenses, men. <laughs> Get two blue tags. <laughs> Well, hey, yes. Paul, thanks for spearheading this. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> when we brought the rear guard. Oh. Right. We all feel dull sometimes. <laughs> oh, such, such biting humor. I can't, can't take no more. We're all showing uh, our rapier okay. wit at this point. <laughs> That's just when it starts getting fun. <laughs> All right, uh, dead. No, it's not working anymore. <laughs> if your character concept is that you want to play a melee fighter, uh, you want to be somebody who doesn't use uh, a long arm or a short arm, uh, you know, a, a projectile weapon, then you don't have to look like you're an idiot. You know, you're like you're some archaic guy who doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, I I think the whole point of this uh, episode was to prove that you can be very effective is in a lot of specific areas and also in general. It depends a lot a lot on what the system allows you to do and how much it uh, gifts the, the projectile weapon people. You know, there's some systems they really. Uh, I mean, the, the original boot heel rules for D&D, uh, handguns were worse than melee weapons. I mean, they, they did less damage, and uh, they did less damage than a bow in some cases. All right, you know, and, the, and of course, because you had to reload them, they were, all, they were really one-shot wonders. So, uh, unless, of course, you had a revolver in which you had six shots, and then you, you were out of luck. So, it's... Uh, you know, the, the game system can make a big difference as to how effective you can be as a melee-type character. But assuming that you are playing uh, a system that does encourage you to be awesome with your weapon of choice, 
then there's no reason why a melee character is not going to cannot be viewed by the other members of his team as being highly effective and uh, somebody to be to be valued for his expertise. All right, fans. Hopefully, you've gotten the cut and thrust of it all. See you again next time. Hey there, this is Ben Gerber from Troll in the Corner, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my podcast, Indie Talks. Indie Talks is a discussion about independent publishing, where we take a look at indie games, the people who write them, and the people who play them. We're going to branch a little farther afield as well and talk to some independent television and movie stars and creators, as well as crafters, all of who are related to gaming in some way, shape, or form. So this please is Bruce join me on the Troll in the Corner Network million, at million trollidc.com so and give Indie Talks a listen. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.